The following sermon was delivered by Executive Pastor Charlene Han Powell during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Dr. Han Powell. Please join me in the unison prayer printed on your screens. In you, O God, we have our preservation and our bliss. In you, Christ, we have our restoring and our saving. In you, Holy Spirit, is marvelous and plenteous grace. Teach us to believe that by your grace all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Amen. Friends, again, welcome to worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, a special This Is What Your Pastor's Apartments Look Like edition. As a public service to those of you who have no idea what day it is, today is the fifth Sunday in Lent, the week before Holy Week, where Christians all over the world will remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his betrayal by those closest to him, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. In honor of Lent, we at Fifth Ave have been talking about what it means to lead an authentic existence, to live a life that is genuine and true and real. I know, I know what you're thinking. Charlene, it doesn't get much realer than this. After all, over the past few weeks, together we have watched our world, our communities, our very existence change overnight. Schools closed, businesses shuttered, jobs vanished, hospitals filled, lives lost. It almost feels like a luxury to wax poetic about big picture existential questions when so many of us don't even know how we'll make it through the day. And yet there's something about this liminal space, this pared down existence that actually allows us to see things more clearly and honestly and authentically than we did before. And so today we consider another one of life's timeless questions. What do I believe? With that, let us turn to our scripture for the day. I invite you to settle in, get comfortable, maybe even close your eyes, and just listen to God's word for you today from the gospel according to Matthew. While Jesus was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Like many of you, I have been spending some quality time with my kids these days. In addition to the immense joy that is being with them in a confined space 24 hours a day, every day of the longest weeks of my life, is being privy to the endless questions that run through their beautiful and innocent minds. Some are easy enough to answer. Mom, why are you wearing sweats again? Can we watch Frozen 2? When can I have another snack, another show, another treat? But some of their questions are a bit more complicated. Mama, what is the coronavirus? Why are so many people getting sick? Are they going to get better? When will I get to see my friends again? It's interesting because the questions that children ask to make sense of what's happening in the world around them are essentially the same questions we as adults ask ourselves, the questions humanity has posed since the dawn of time. Who am I? Why is this happening? Where do I belong? What is my purpose in life? And it's important that we continue to ask these questions, not just so we can thrive as individuals, but so we can survive as a human race. Today's question, what do you believe, is no exception. Now, some might disagree. Like famed psychologist Sigmund Freud, many think that belief and religious belief in particular is an illusion. It's the irrational and ritualistic lie we tell ourselves to get us off the hook. It pacifies our guilt and our fears and our inner vacancies. Nothing about belief is authentic. Yet I would argue that science and scripture and experience tell us otherwise. Let's start with the science. Numerous studies performed in the past decade by psychologists like Dr. Freud show that our brains are actually biologically primed to believe. Contrary to the notion that there is a specific God spot in our brains, studies show that the tendency to believe taps into numerous areas throughout our cognitive functioning. One particular study published by the National Academy of Sciences showed that religious thoughts activate the same parts of our brains involved in deciphering another person's emotions and intentions. In other words, when we think about our belief in the divine, it's like thinking about a person we value or trust. All that to say, belief isn't so much a matter of what we believe, but who 
we believe. The evidence for that is written all over our brains, which leads us to our passage for the day. Now, I know that it seems that the church has historically been far more concerned with the what than the who. We have fought over, argued about, and divided multiple times over what exactly it means to be a Christian, what doctrines we will uphold, what sins we will keep out. But scripture offers a different approach to belief, one more concerned with the who than the what. Now, we just read about two of the miracles that Jesus performed in his lifetime, but there are numerous accounts throughout the Gospels, and each one builds the case that Jesus was no ordinary man. He was special, powerful, maybe even divine. Now, we know how this story ends. Spoiler alert, Jesus is, in fact, divine. God incarnate, to be exact. But if we were living this story in real time, we wouldn't know all of that quite yet. Jesus even goes as far as to tell a number of the witnesses to his miracles not to share what happened with others. Now, why would he do that? Doesn't he want people to believe in him? And the answer is yes. But belief isn't the only thing on the table. Jesus wants his followers, his people, to know him, to trust him, and then to believe in him. That's why these miracles are so important, because we not only get to see that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, we get to see what kind of God he is. Yes, the kind of God who is powerful enough to defeat death, but also the kind of God who is compassionate enough to restore life. The kind of God who cares for those on the margins like a bleeding woman and a young girl. The kind of God who is about the healing of the whole person, not just body, but heart and soul and mind. Best of all, Jesus is the kind of God who is so committed to meeting the overwhelming needs of his people that he would share his power with 12 humble disciples, a gang of misfits traveling from town to town, curing those with disease and sickness, casting out unclean spirits, and sharing the gospel with anyone who just needed to hear some good news. I guess when it comes down to it, it doesn't just matter that Jesus is the Son of God. It matters that the Son of God loves humanity enough that he would come into our world to be with us, to feed us, to bind up our wounds, and to suffer alongside us. That is the true miracle. Which leads me to my final point, experience. Now, I'll be honest, in my lifetime, I have not seen a child raised from the dead. I haven't seen blindness cured by touch or a demon cast out with a word. But that doesn't mean I haven't witnessed a miracle or two. Because what I have seen is that when the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, that God rolls up her sleeves and gets to work. I've seen it before. I'm seeing it now. Make no mistake, my friends, we are in the midst of a crisis. From China to Italy to Spain to the U.S., we are living a rare moment in history where a single disease has taken hold of entire cities and nations and peoples. If our world ever needed a miracle, now would be the time, right? 
But when I step back and look beyond myself, beyond the headlines, beyond the fear, I see miracles happening all around us. I see nurses and doctors and the staff of hospitals working around the clock in less than ideal conditions. I see volunteers delivering food, faithful employees showing up to their jobs as caregivers, grocery clerks, delivery staff, and more. I see teachers doing lessons remotely and parents working nonstop. And I see communities big and small caring for those in need and in loss. Some offering healing through healthcare and food and resources, while others offering healing through conversation and comfort and prayer. When I take a step back and look at all of that goodness and courage, I see God and I can't help but believe. I believe in the one who made the lame to walk and the blind to see. I believe in his disciples who continue this miraculous work today. And I believe that all shall be well. All shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. Friends, this is what it means to live an authentic existence. To take everything life throws at us, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the terrifying, the known and the unknown, and to have faith, to trust, to believe that God is with us in the midst of it all, helping us, healing us, and guiding us every step of the way. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen.